0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the young adult minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you are about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Give it a listen.
1: Mark Brandt. He says he supports the teachings of the Old Testament, but each week he greets viewers on Hope's online streaming service and what's newer than the Internet. When he baptizes others, he stands waist-deep in living water. Has he never heard of anointing with oil? And the last time one of Mark's children misbehaved, he blatantly chose to spare the rod, instead giving him a strong talking to Mark Brandt too modern, not Old Testament enough for us. Paid for by the Foundation for Old Testament Values. Can we really trust Perry Ross to be a worship leader? He says that we're saved through a new covenant, but just this month, he was exposed as supporting old-timey hymns. Oh, Perry. And when leading worship, Perry always stands in front of an altar. Getting ready to sacrifice something, Perry? so Old Testament. And what is his mustache saying? New life or old fashioned? Tell Perry Ross, enough of this Old Testament business. It's time for someone who represents the gospel 110%. I'm Levi Hansen and I approve this message.
0: Well, hello and welcome, everyone. We pull that video out from time to time because there's some really good chuckles in it. And also, if you knew Levi, he used to be our worship leader here at Revive, so that's what the extra chuckle was at the very end. Uh, We're so glad you're here. The room is set up a little bit differently tonight, which we're going to explain in a moment. So thank you for scrunching together a little bit more on this side of the room for those of you that are here in person. I don't remember if I said my name, so if I didn't, or if I did, I'm just going to say it again. My name's Jamie, and I'm the Revive Young Adult Minister here at Hopes West Campus. And I am so excited to be joined tonight by the Reverend Dr. Richard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Richard Webb. Yes, that's so
1: embarrassing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Richard, thanks so much for joining us here tonight.
1: I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, By way of introduction, Mm -hmm. I thought this would be a really fun introduction. You are headed out on sabbatical this summer. Exactly. What are you going to do on your sabbatical this summer? And I feel like that will tell Mm -hmm. us a lot about you.
1: A lot of Netflix. No, um, (laughs) seriously. um, I'm going to be doing some research on uh, the church in Denmark. Um, Very, very interesting. Uh, We have a relationship with the church in Denmark. It's... It, Europe's very weird, but they have state churches, and the state church in Denmark is Lutheran. Um, and there's a whole bunch of young adults and, and, and also vibrant congregations that we have run into, and they feel an awful lot like hope. And so, because we feel kind of alone in the United States, we're weird, um, so we wanna learn from them and um, I've been there and I've been at two of the churches that I'll be looking at, uh, and I think there's three more that I'll, I'll be also looking at from a distance. And then I'll be doing a boatload of interviews on Zoom. Uh, yes, um, yes, and you thought the pandemic was over. No, now it's for research. Um, and so I'll be writing up some of, of the results, Just and the question will be, so from uh, the emerging young adult leadership in the Danish church, from the vibrant congregations in the Danish church, and also the challenges they have, what can we learn as a congregation? Um, and, and, and also how can we mutually help each other out because we seem to have similar DNA. So that'll, and that'll all come in a 20-page report given to the elder board at, at the church council. Um, <laughs> yes.
0: Doesn't that sound so nerdy and so fun? <laughs> right, I'm so excited to hear all about it. We um, have had the honor of having a lot of the Danes that Richard is referring mm-hmm. to come and be a part of Revive and Hope. Uh, we had mm-hmm. several interns. We had some Danes here for a month long, and they loved being here at Revive. So we have, yeah. actually have our second highest country uh, of viewership of Revive is our friends in Denmark. So that's really fun. <laughs> um, yeah, shout yes, out. Hello, friends. friends. Uh, so anyway... Uh, Thanks for being here.
1: You bet, yeah. we got to do a shout out. Hi Andreas, hi Nudes, hi Peter, you know, there we are.
0: All of our friends.
1: <laughs> see, see, hi actually means hello in Danish. It's H-E-J.
0: I think tonight's gonna be really fun. <laughs> <laughs> so we are in week three of our sermon series that we're doing right now called The Heart of Hope. We are talking about Lutheran Church of Hope's mission and vision and values, not because we're really excited about ourselves and not because we think that there's something there to learn, but because of what those mission, vision, and values do in pointing us to Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is actually the heart of this church, that Jesus Christ is the heartbeat of, um, of our faith. And so we look to him and uh, we're really excited then to look at how these values and our vision and our mission point us deeper into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so tonight we're looking at Uh, we rearranged a little bit. This is week three, but we're looking at core value five. For those of you who are very aware of them, we are doing them out of order and that's just fine. Uh, So the, the core value number five that we're looking at tonight, um, is we are one body united in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, These are. This is one of the main things that keeps us on course as a church. These core values are our rudder. They keep us um, going in the direction that we want to go. They keep us from falling into ditches that we don't want to fall into. And so I'm really excited to have Richard here tonight. We're going to do this kind of interview style, podcast style. And then we're going to do some fun uh, chill time and prayer time and prayer stations and and some extended worship at the end. And so I'm really excited about that. So Richard, um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have you just kind of kick us off here. The verse that was read earlier um, in the worship service, Mm -hmm. as you'll see on this next slide, uh, is a prayer of Jesus. Jesus prayed this prayer in John chapter 17. Richard, can you give us a little context for what's happening here and what Jesus is doing?
1: Oh, yeah. This prayer is mind-blowing. I mean, it's sort of like you could meditate on verses 20 through 23 for for months, years, decades, and and it still just scratches the surface. Um, if you begin to, to get there, Jesus is praying something pretty insane. Um, this is all in the context of the Lord's Supper. John's, um, uh, what word I'm looking for, John's telling of the Lord's Supper is a bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He doesn't focus on the bread and the wine, he focuses on foot washing. And he does this very interesting thing, is he started out by saying Jesus, knowing that all authority had been given to him, and that he had come from God and was going to God, takes off his outer garments, puts on a towel, and washes his disciples' feet. And so we get a revelation of God. Sometimes people think, you know, before Jesus was born, he was God, he was God, and then, oh, he isn't a wonderful God, he gave up his divinity for us. That's so wrong. No, his divinity is expressed in foot washing.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, So, so you wanna see real power? Go to the places where Jesus is serving. That's bigger than anything else. Uh, So we get this, and then at the very end of it, uh, after he, he, he talks about who he is, and he's sending the Holy Spirit to be with his followers, then he prays this prayer, and I just wanna just take a look at one line very, very fast, let's see if I can do this in 60 seconds. He says, this is my prayer, that all of them may be one, Now here's where it gets crazy. Just as you are in me and I am in you. In other words, he wants us as his followers to be so united to each other as we are united to him and as the Trinity is united with itself. I mean, that's called absolutely brain busting. You know, I mean, circuits should be frying. (laughs) Now, then he says at the back end, one other sentence, then the world will know that you have sent me. Now, let's put some feet on that so we're not staying up in theory land. For the first three centuries, the major, major empire-changing, kingdom-bringing tool of the church, signs and wonders were great, but that wasn't the main point. The main point was how they treated each other. And that changed an empire. And that's a whole other ser- sermon series. But think about that, is the church's secret sauce is loving each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Nothing else. In other words, we have gotta, gotta act like Jesus before we can talk about Jesus. Mm. And if we don't act like Jesus, then talk about Jesus simply drives people away from Jesus because the only Jesus they see is the Jesus in us and if that's distorted, I, mean, I don't know how many times I have a, a conversation with people who thought they had rejected God and Christianity to find out what they had rejected is the same thing I would reject. Yeah, so I'm just gonna leave it right there.
0: So we can go home now, right? <laughs> We can just go home now because that was great. (laughs) Um, So Richard, another question that I have for you, Mm follow-up question. This is maybe a trick question. Okay. Is the church united?
1: Uh, Let me think, no. (laughs) No.
0: So if the church is not... This reminds me of a little story, an anecdote. I did student ministry in the Seattle area for six and a half years after college before moving back here to Iowa. And as a part of the ministry that we were doing there, we wanted to have a different kind of cultural experience trip where we would go, serve, build some houses. Um, And so we went on a trip to Kentucky, and a lot of my students from Seattle were like, there are churches everywhere. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, they're like Starbucks. They're on every (laughs) corner. And I was like, yes, you're in the Bible Belt. Uh, So to go from one of the most unchurched cities in the United States to the the thick of the Bible Belt in Kentucky was really a big culture shock for them. And I I still think about that statement of theirs or that observation of theirs. A lot of these churches are on every corner, and it's not like they're the same church. They're not all Lutheran, they're not all Methodist, they're not all Assembly of God, they're not all the same denomination. All of them are different denominations, and all of them are quite small, which I think just says a lot. So with that little bit of context, can you just talk to us a little bit about the unity of the church and how we Mm -hmm. fail?
1: Oh boy, where do we start? Um, The best way is, um, if you look at church history, it's it's why I'm a church history nerd, because it's 2,000 years of really juicy gossip. Um, (laughs) Laughter And it's very interesting. There are reasons that there are conflicts because sometimes people are teaching garbage and someone needs to be called out. The vast majority of what has blown the church up is people's egos. Uh, And and the first big break happens in around 1000 when the, the Eastern Church and the Western Church split. And they, were, they had sent a delegation to make nice and patch things up and then they had this big banquet where they drank a lot of wine and everybody's inside voices became their outside voices. And at that point. I hate it when that happens. I know. <laughs> and, and literally the church blew up because they simultaneously excommunicated each other and there you got the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. The moral of the story is when you're trying to patch the church up, keep the wine out of the room. Um, but it was all egos. Because it just when you think of all the, God loves diversity. Mm. And if we were functioning well, we don't have to be one super organization, but the Methodists have something to say to the whole body of Christ. The Assemblies of God have something to say to the whole body of Christ. The Lutherans have something to say to the whole body of Christ. The Roman Catholics have something to say to the whole body of Christ. And think of it as this gorgeous, knock dead stained glass window, where if it's only one color, it's boring. God loves diversity. What he doesn't like, and what breaks his heart is disunity. Mm. Yeah. And what's happened is because we've decided to worship ourselves and our own religious structures and organizations and our own way of doing things, um, we have gotten in the way of God and and we have not stopped him because remember, he can do everything but fail. But man, we've made it a hassle.
0: (laughs) Yes, so thinking through what Christians have done and continue to do that adds Mm -hmm. to division, when Mm -hmm. you and I were prepping for this, Mm As you can imagine, Richard just said a lot of great things that I was like, I have to write this down. And so, uh, you see a lot of bullet points here mm-hmm. in our notes. I'm wondering if we can just start working our way through <laughs> some of those bullet points.
1: Sure, uh, one is that if you were to ask anybody, are you being divisive, they would look at you, of course not, my position is simply the truth. And what we've done is, if, instead of being humble before the Lord and saying there's a whole boatload of stuff I don't know, but I do know Jesus, we have become, oh, this is, this is so huge. Let me see if I can keep this fast. The mission of the church is to reach out in the world and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. But over and over in church history, you'll see that that mission slowly corrodes and corrupts into two kinds of, of purity projects that are then weaponized against whoever we don't agree with. One is doctrinal purity. My doctrine's more pure than yours, and by the way, all my doctrine counts, and if you disagree with any of it, you're going to hell. And the other one is moral purity. My morality is pure and yours is corrupt and you're going to go to hell because I disagree with you on this and this. And so what we do is we draw lines in the sand. Does doctrine matter? Of course it does. When it's instructions for how to preach and teach. Does morality matter? Yeah, it's how we treat each other and get along in community. But when we weaponize it, we actually turn it into the very thing it's designed to avoid. But then we talk ourselves into believing, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not pushing Lutheran doctrine. I'm just pushing biblical truth. What are you doing? And then I've absolutized my opinion and confused it for, for, for God's word.
0: Hmm. Wow. Over the course of my faith life. I grew up going to church. The church that my family started going to in sixth grade was very different than the church that I'd gone to previous to sixth grade. I thought I had gone to a cult because the pastor wore a robe and had a stole and a rope tied around his waist. It was a Presbyterian church. Uh, It wasn't a cult. Actually uh, come to find out the church that I had left um, was actually a little bit maybe more cult-ish, but (laughs) that's another story for another time. And just had a variety of different experiences going with my friends to a lot of their different youth groups, went to um, a Lutheran summer, worked at a Lutheran summer camp called Riverside up in Story City, uh, went to a reformed college, and just basically had a lot of questions by the time I was done, moved to Seattle and was working in a more post-Christian part of our country. And one of the things that was fascinating for me to realize after I uh, had moved to Seattle and was becoming a young adult there was that a lot of the, the same things that I'd heard growing up in all sorts of different political climates, uh, from more mainline to more evangelical, the interesting observation I made was was that while we might have different political leanings in different parts of the country and different denominations, we all say very similar things about the other. Uh, do you have anything you wanna to add to? to
1: Very same experience. What I found when I talk, for example, to, to uh, I'm gonna call them, we're gonna use evangelical just because that's the word that the news uses. I'm gonna call it the hard right. That's probably better, is, is they are pretty sure that anybody other than them are going to help. But I also worked in our denominations headquarters where a lot of people from the hard left were and they are pretty sure anyone who disagrees with them is going to help. This group regards the left as satanic and, and, and counterfeit and the beast and the false prophet. This group regards them, the right as all oppressive and demonic and, 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 and abusers. You know, so everybody's slinging words at each other and they've, they've sort of demonized each other and consigned everybody to, to outer darkness. And of course, we're the children of light and they're the children of darkness. If you read the Gospel of John, you discover that everybody who thinks they're children of light turn out to be children of darkness. Mm. And all the despicables by the way, you know what a despicable is? Someone I don't someone I don't agree with. So, you know, that's what we that's not what we call people who disagree, they're despicables, you know, and then you pick your favorite word. Well, in the Gospel of John, it turns out the despicables turn out to be the children of light. Mm. And so you discover the person you disagree with is the apple of Jesus' eye. Mm.
0: We're gonna talk about social media in a moment, but before, (laughs) oh yeah, Uh, oh man, now he's been thinking about social media and I'll ask my train of thoughts. Maybe we'll just go to social media. Okay. Uh, Let's go to social media. So when Richard and I were talking about this, you had some really great thoughts about how social media kind of entrenches us in mm-hmm. these patterns of thought.
1: Oh, yeah. First of all, we have to understand something. Social media is not the public square. <coughs> these are for-profit corporations, and their sole drive is to add value to their stockholders, which means it's money, okay? Everybody get that? This is not, they, they're not out of the goodness of their heart creating forums for us to have reasonable discussions. <laughs> that does not make money. Guess what they found out with all their fancy artificial intelligence algorithms and all that. You know what makes money? Engagement. And you know the best way to get someone engaged on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, you name it? Anger. Their aim is to get you angry. Because then you get in there and you go and they got you. It has nothing to do with liberal or conservative. That's all artificial. It's making money. Okay. Now here's the deal, What's the, uh, anger is a secondary emotion. What's the emotion behind it? Fear. If we can make everybody afraid, we're gonna make boatloads of money. Now this has a huge social cost, because what happens when a whole country gets afraid? They go after each other. We are very close to the way it looked at in Germany right after World War I. And, and, and that's a very important thing for us to understand. And in this case, we've also weaponized religion in this country, hmm. and Jesus has got somewhere lost. Couple things I wanna just detail down a little bit. So, um, how does this happen? Okay, let's imagine Jamie and I are on Twitter, and one of us tweets something that the other is like. Row. Now, here's what's going.
0: Wait, what was that sound effect?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: keep going, thank okay.
1: you. So, what'll happen, is remember, we, we all got our posses. That's the number of likes that are coming along with us. So, one of us is gonna then tweet back something, but it's not gonna be for the other. We're not gonna actually have a conversation. We're gonna say something designed to get the most likes. So We're getting the like competition. And we're gonna to continue to be more brutal with each other, more cruel, more outrageous, just, just really nasty, because we're competing for likes. We're not really having a conversation. And when I was reading about this, this is called a performative conversation when in fact it's theater. Mm -hmm. But yet we believe that we're having a conversation. Do you see what happens when we confuse theater with conversation? Then we gotta have a winner and a loser. Mm -hmm. It's not about the issue anymore. It never was about the issue if you ask the corporations. Mm -hmm. So this is what's going on with us. Social media is designed to create these sorts of situations. And again, it's, it's politically, religiously neutral. They just want to make some money. Mm. But look at the social cost. And look what it's done to Christians. I mean, just take a look at the left and the right. Just go find some hyper-woke Christian site over here and go find some you know, um, persecuted evangelical Christian site over here. And if you take out the nouns, the verbs, and the adjectives are all the same. Think about that. So so if I if am looking around for my, it something to do with my spiritual vacuum and I see Christians behaving like the worst jerks in the country on both left and right, do you think I'm gonna consider Jesus as an option? Mm. There was an atheist evangelist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and there are also the grumpy fundies in the University of Wisconsin-Madison. <laughs> as, and, and also really, really, you know, um, I don't know what you'd call them, the hyper-woke snobs. Um, You know, I mean, by the way, there is a term that I've heard the African-American community uses for really woke white people, they're uh, they're woke necks. Yeah, they're not quite sure what the difference is between them and rednecks, so. Um, So just us white people, let's make sure we're not so self-righteous about how aware we are you know, let's let's get humble and just kneel at the cross and, and let God clean us up, rather than trying to, to prove ourselves to somebody. You know, it doesn't mean racism isn't a thing, it's just the way you combat the racism inside yourself is Jesus, not your own efforts. Mm. Um, mm. So, um, back to this, um, dang, I lost my train of thought. Well that's both of so us. That was so good,
0: it was so good. Can, I did remember what I forgot, mm-hmm. and that's just this simple line, Many of you know that I love Brene Brown. She's a social scientist and researcher who researches shame, vulnerability, courage, and things of that nature. And uh, some of her research has found the link between dehumanizing language and genocide. Mm. That Mm. all genocides that we are aware of in human history trickle backwards to dehumanizing language about another. Mm -hmm. That person is such a... Mm-hmm. That perspective is such a, now I'm not saying anytime time that you say that, you are going to then be a part of genocide. But also I'm not saying that when we engage in that kind of behavior and language as Jesus followers that we're not, not, I'm, now I'm lost in all the knots we have to be so aware, not only of how we think and how we present Jesus to the world, but in what ways our words contribute to the slaughter of human beings Mm, and mm. the dignity of the other.
1: Yes, if we other people, or we believe God despises them, then we can do anything we want to them in the name of God, and that is truly antichrist.
0: So going back a little bit to social media and then we'll transition into uh, the next thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the one of the things about social media that we all know is that what you put on social media is what you want people to see of your life and who you are. That's how you're representing yourself in the non-public square, public square, right? And we pick and choose what we want other people to see and, and what we're posting on social media. And so it's good for us to be aware of those things that we post: our thoughts, the pictures of our life, the people that we spend time with, whatever it might be. That. If that's how we want people to see us, that is a reflection of our self-concept, the self-concept that we want to present to the world, the self-concept that we wish that maybe we had ourselves. There's all sorts of layers to that. Um, but, but really, it gets down to this, this word that we say often in the church— Identity but really identity is what is my self-concept? How do I identify myself? How do I think about myself? How do I want other people Mm -hmm. to identify Mm -hmm. me or think about me and um, as you'll see on the next slide our culture really just Wants you to define yourself based on who you're for and who you're against And when we make these decisions about who we're for and who we're against Often it's not authentic to us, but it's a performative sort of thing we had talked about being offendable. Mm-hmm. We had talked about being not offendable. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really appreciated you said, uh, that you said, Richard, is that kingdom people are unoffendable. Yeah. That we're yeah. unable, or in an ideal way anyways, um, that we are unable to be offended when it comes to political mm-hmm. positions, to opinions. Mm-hmm. Would you add a little bit more to that?
1: Yeah. Um, how would you like to not ever be triggered by someone else's behavior or, or, or words? Yep. well, there's a journey towards there. I, I can't give you the five easy steps, but I can give you the pathway where we grow into unoffendability. And a lot of it has to do with identity. If we're hanging our identity on our performance in social media or our religious correctness, either left or right, or you know, how, you know, how, what our politics looks like, all that stuff, uh, we are going to be offended. Um, and, 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 and use whatever words your particular tribe wants to use to do that, you're, you're just gonna get you know, your boxers in a bundle. And, and, you're, well, and what you're gonna do is you're gonna live with anger. Yeah. And that, and your quality of life's gonna go down because you know, then you're gonna wind up with anxiety and depression and not sleep, etc. Alternative, shift your identity. Now, that's easy to say, and this is a boatload of work, so that's the fine print, but it's worth the work. Go to the person who actually gets to say who you are. And he's got some things to say like, before you were born, I knew you. And I knew all your days. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made and there's nowhere you can go that I'm not there and you can't drive me away. Because I made you on purpose, for a purpose, and very good, and in love, and I do more than just love you in some sort of abstract level, I like you. Mm. And I went to hell and back for you. Now, what happens if we sit with that? Not as some concepts to just get down and, and check the box with our theological correctness, but as living reality, what does it mean that there's somebody who is that in love with you, that they would rather die than be without you? And what does it mean to sit with that and, and, and have conversations with that person day in to day out and, and just, just focus on all that? That's going to shift your identity and pretty soon triggers are going to go down in their impact and you're not going to really care as much about the politics of who said what and who's getting elected and all this. Yes you will in a certain way that you want justice here but it won't be all about you and your identity and you being right and your tribe winning because you know that the only way we win is if we all win.
0: So kingdom people define ourselves, well, culture wants us to define ourselves based on who you're for or against. Kingdom people define ourselves based on the love of Jesus Christ for you and then for all people. Mm -hmm. So then the question becomes, how do we become people who unify in the name of Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. How do we become people that where we see division, we say, "Uh uh-uh, I sense what's happening here. And I might not be perfect at like, undoing this disunity, but I'm gonna be very aware of how I can contribute to bringing these people together and helping them to see mm-hmm. eye to eye, helping them to grow in empathy for one another. How do we become people who unify? You had talked about a, a quote from Mother Teresa. Do you mm-hmm. remember?
1: Oh yes. I think Mother Teresa was one of the most major peacemakers and unifiers on the planet. Someone asked her about her, her relationship with God and, and prayer life and all that. What did she do? They wanted to know what she did. She said, well, you know, God and I sit together and sometimes we talk. Mm. Think of how thick that statement is. It sounds a little silly at the beginning, but then you realize the people who are most intimate often, if you see a couple who've just thick or thin or, or, or siblings or friends and, 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 they're, you know, and there's no secrets, often they'll just sit there. They'll sit there, you know? Maybe they'll do something together. But the conversation has already been had over days, months, and years, and they just marinate in it. God is calling us to marinate in his friendship.
0: Mm.
1: Just sit there. But there's also one tool, because when we do this, we get the stamina to do something else, and that's let our pain go. Think of Gollum, you know, in the ring, and he hangs on his precious, and it just kills him, right? Yeah. And he's so distorted, we can't even tell he was a hobbit. We hang on to our pain that way.
0: Mm.
1: And we build it as an identity point often. But the more we literally sit as Mother Teresa did with God and sometimes we talk, the more we get the courage and the ability to release our pain. The biblical word is literally to let it go or, or, or let it loose. Mm. The English word for that is forgiveness. The, but the reason I'm not using it until just now is because we often think forgiveness means let them get away with it. It has nothing to do with them forever. It, it literally is, let them not decide how you're gonna feel about yourself. If I were using psychological language, it's a declaration of emotional independence from past wounds and wonders. Now imagine that your identity is completely wrapped up in Jesus and you're able to let loose of your pain, whether it just happened two seconds ago or, it's, or it happened in your family of origin over, you know, horrible time. And imagine being free from all that. Now you walk in with that into any space and you will be the calming presence. You will be the adult in the living room. You will be the one who, who de-escalates, and you will be the one who brings unity because you will be the safe one in the room.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that transcends all issues, positions and controversies.
0: Richard, that's a beautiful segue into the fun things that we're going to do tonight, I think. So let me explain a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you to lead the the activation, if that is okay with you. Okay, cool. So here's what we're going to do. Speaking of sitting with Jesus and maybe talking, that's what we're going to do a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so here's how this is going to look. We're going to do something together where Richard is going to invite you to visualize Mm -hmm. something, and you can just do that exactly where you are. When that is done, I'll give you maybe a further instruction, but then you have a little bit of free time to roam around the room and do some specific things. One of them is that we have um, what we call here at Hope, something that is very beloved around Hope and um, in the revived community as well. It's called soaking prayer. What it is is somebody will um, silently soak you in prayer. You don't have to tell them a prayer request. You don't have to, actually no words are really exchanged at all. And how we're going to do and where we're gonna do soaking prayer is over here on these side chairs that you probably noticed are facing away from the room. The feng shui is very off, but that's what it's there (laughs) (laughs) for. And so, um, as you feel led, you can feel free to go on over and sit in any seat, a prayer partner, one of our trained revive prayer people will come up behind you. They'll ask, can I put my hands on your shoulders? You can say yes or no, whatever you want. And then they will just uh, soak you silently in prayer. They won't tell you anything, uh, They'll just when they're done they'll just tap you on the shoulders and you can be on your way. Um, If there's too many uh, people over here we also have some seats available in this room with the glass windows over there. Then we also have a sheet of paper, a half sheet in the back with I think some really great prompts for you to just sit and journal with. Um, I was going to bring one of them up here so I could read you the questions but I forgot. But they're um, in the back. We also have um, some colored, uh, what's the word, like embroidery thread in the back in case you want to make a bracelet. And here's why. (laughs) When you have something kind of tangible to do with your hands. It can make things soak in in a different way. And there's some fun wordplay that we were, I was gonna do, but we'll just run out of time. We ran out of time because this was so good. Um, Being people who tie things together and being people of unity rather than being the people who untie and who add to division is really important. And so I invite you, if you want to, to... Take a piece of thread. There's some fun, like, cross charms. You can thread through that if you want to. And just tie it on your wrist. And you can tie that on uh, tonight and wear it for the weekend. You could wear it home and cut it off. You could wear it for the next three years. I don't care. Whatever you feel like you want to be a reminder for you of being a person of unity, of people who tie things together, you can do that. If you also just want to sit and breathe, you are welcome to just sit and breathe. So, Richard, will you lead us sure. in our prayer exercise? Yeah. And then we'll get going.
1: All right. Thank Find a way that you can sit where you're relaxed and and there's no tension in your body. Uh, You can close your eyes or keep them open, whatever uh, works best for you. And I want you to imagine a very, very average person. It could be any age, man or woman, doesn't matter. Um, And uh, you're walking into, let's say, a Starbucks or a coffee shop and and you're feeling kind of hassled and you just wanna be alone, darn it. So you go get your, 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 your beverage of choice and you look around and the whole place is full except for one seat. And it's at this table uh, where there's two chairs and then one of them is occupied by this person that you're imagining. And um, there's something about this person that you find attractive, you don't know what it is, but. You know, it's, it's, it's someone you would want to get to know and you're thinking, you know, okay, well, I'll sit there. They look pleasant enough. And um, as you're sipping on your coffee and fumbling with your iPhone or your, or, or your Samsung or whatever, um, this person is reading a book and then looks up and looks at you and your eyes lock. And you get this really, really crazy, scary feeling that they know everything about you and you feel utterly exposed and there's no place to hide, which is really weird because you're at a Starbucks, but there it is. And then you'll notice in their eyes that there's a twinkle and then a crooked smile develops and they just look at you and go, hey you, and you know you've been named by the one who gave you breath. And you just lose it because in this person's gaze, they know everything and they're still thrilled you sat down with your cup of coffee right just there. You don't have to answer this, but just think to yourself, how are you feeling right now? What is that like to have encountered such a person who knows everything, you can't hide anything, and yet they are thrilled you sat down? That's God. And we can find ourselves by looking at God, looking back at us. And I wanna urge you that whenever you're feeling anxiety or you're angry at yourself or you've been wounded is to sit down with that individual and, 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 and just sit in the fact that everything is known, no hiding, and then sit with the fact that this person delights in you, delights in you. And when they see the mess in you, they see it as an opportunity for you to become more human, more real, more whole, not a disappointment, not a rejection. Because no matter how many times you've done that thing over and over again, you're counting up, but as one author put it, they're counting down. And they already have a vision of what you will become. That is our God. Jesus said all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me to judge the world. And it turns out his judgment seat is made of wood and it's the cross where he takes on his own judgment. And then he gives away to us in exchange, his life, his love, his forgiveness, and we are no longer defined by our past, no longer defined by our pain, no longer defined by our secrets, no longer defined by what anybody has done to us or said to us, we are defined by this one. I invite you just to repeat this anytime you need to be told who you are. Fear not, for behold, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, says the Lord.
0: I'm going to pray, and then we can have a little bit of free time and prayer time and sit time. God, we thank you for your love. I thank you for this time. To hear some really good teaching about the invitation you have to us, to be people of your transformation and of your love God whatever it is that we brought in with us be it busyness worry about a thing a relationship a job a situation finances whatever God would you just say something to us about that and how we Hmm. let those things say something to us about ourselves let this time where we sit and have the opportunity to be with you, maybe it's the first time we've actually sat and paused today. Or maybe we've been stuck in our own head, been pausing a lot today. Let this be time where the narrative in our head and our heart is different. God, as we sit with you and engage in a variety of different like activities or whatever, God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you speak to us? Would you remind us of your love? And would you help us become so deeply connected with you that we're different, that we leave different, that the wiring in our brain is different, that the wiring in our heart is different, that we just become a little bit more like you and the us that you made us to be. We love you. We ask your spirit to come, and we say thank you. We love you and all God's kids said. Amen. Amen. So you've got soaking prayer over here, additional chairs in the chapel family room, some bracelet stuff and journal pages in the back, and we'll come back together in a couple minutes. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines, and we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts.